Thank you for joining us. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at the Tabernacle, and we are in our series entitled Resurrection. We uh, kicked it off at Easter time uh, and, and simply stated in that message that we believe that the resurrection is true. We believe that Jesus Christ was a real person and that over 2,000 years ago, after being crucified and buried, his tomb was found empty. And there were some serious implications for you and for me and for everyone else who's ever lived because of the resurrection. First of all, that Jesus is God. Because he came back from the dead, he is God. That means that the gospel is true. And that also means that there's hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for us. And it's not just a hope that one day we will be resurrected. It's a hope that God can resurrect our lives right now. It says in scripture that without Christ, we are dead in sin. But with Christ, we are made alive with him. We are resurrected. And it's not just a gospel for someday. It's a gospel for right now. But before we get into that, I, I want to paint a little bit of a picture for you um, because what we're going to be talking about today and in, in how uh, Christ resurrects us, those of us who believe in him, we place our faith and trust in him. When his grace invades us, he begins to resurrect different parts of our lives. And the picture that I want to paint for you comes from uh, what has to be one of my favorite movies of all time. So picture a scene it's night. We're in France. There's a highway. Cars are coming and going. It's snowing. It may or may not be in the foothills of the French Alps. And there's a little diner. It's somewhere around Christmas time, not unlike April in northern Michigan. And there's a young man and a young woman that are sitting at this uh, table in this diner. And the man looks tired. The man's agitated. Uh, and he speaks to the woman in a low voice, in an earnest low voice. And then this is what he says. He says, who has a safety deposit box with money, six passports, and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here and the first thing I'm doing is catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. And the woman responds, I see the exit too, but he cuts her off. He says, I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside and at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? If you haven't been living under a rock, you know who we're talking about. One of my favorite movie characters, we're talking about Jason Bourne, right? And that comes from uh, this epic movie, The Bourne Identity. I, I, I know I'm just a little kid inside, but just that shot right there of our, you know, super spy, super assassin, you know, disavowed by the United States, Jason Bourne behind a scope that just gives me chills, Right? And, and if, if you don't relate it because you didn't see the movie, I'm not necessarily saying you should go out and watch it. You probably should uh, whenever it's on television and I'm, you know, kind of flipping through the channels, I have to stop and just watch the rest of it, right? Even though I own several copies of this movie. In fact, I've seen all five. There's the Born Identity. There's the Born uh, Supremacy, the Born Ultimatum. There's the Born Legacy. There's one that's just called Jason Born. You can tell I'm a little kid inside, right? In fact, I think there should be one called the Born resurrection, right? 
this guy in movie number one has amnesia. He doesn't know who he is. And for someone like me, for like many men when we watch The Born Identity, it's more than just a movie. It's more than just fiction. It's an option, right? Like how cool would it be to wake up, you know, or kind of floating in Lake Gitche with total amnesia and find out that you have all these Jason Bourne skills, that you can disarm anyone, that you can take people out, that you can, you know, pull out the chip from your uh, phone and figure out how to get into the Pentagon, all those cool things, right? Well, this is the whole premise of the movie, The Born Identity, and all throughout the Born series, is here's a man who doesn't know who he is. And in that sense, that's how it relates to many of us. Many of us don't know who we are or who God made us to be. And that's a big problem. It's a big problem when God's people don't know who they really are, when we don't know what our true identity is. And it's not just with God's people, it's all throughout our nation. In fact, our nation, besides uh, uh, you know, the present uh, political climate, you know, what's going on with the quarantine, e- even outside of that, people are wrestling with what their true identity is. In fact, uh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but there's a whole portion of society that's trying to figure out how they identify. You see, there's different things that make up our identity. And what I mean by our identity is, is how we view ourselves, which has a direct impact on how we view the world. This is important. Because if I think I'm valued, then I want to add value. But I, if I think I don't have any value well, that's going to impact the way I behave. Some of us get our identity from the way we look. And, and the problem is that some of us really don't like the way we look. In fact, I heard a story of a woman. She was an older woman, and uh, she was in an art museum. And as she's going through this art museum, uh, she's trying to appreciate the different exhibits. And she was in front of one exhibit And uh, she turned to a museum curator and said, uh, I suppose you call this hideous thing art, modern art. And the curator's response was uh, very respectfully. He said, uh, no, ma'am, what we call that thing is a mirror. Some of us, when we look in the mirror, we don't like what we see. And if your identity's caught up in the exterior, if your identity's caught up in the way you look, well, then you're ruled by that. For some of us, our identity is caught up in what we have or what we've accomplished. Sometimes our identity is marked profoundly by what people have said to us. And our identity can be marked by the true things that people say about us, but more often than not, our identity gets marked by the lies that people say about us. We've heard stories, you've heard stories of a child that's told that they were a mistake or a child that's told that they're good for nothing or that there's nothing that they can do to amount to anything. Well, when a child believes that, it becomes a part of their identity. They're marked forever in a negative way. And that's true inside the church. That's true outside the church. Our parents can mark us and do, and do things to shape our identity positively or negatively. But the problem with all of this is, is that if our identity is in anything that can be lost or stolen or destroyed, then as Brennan Manning says, it's just an illusion. 
This is the reason in church we put on the mask. This is the reason that uh, when people ask us how we're doing, we make up lies like, fine. There's an image that we think we're supposed to have. And many of us, if we're honest, what we really think about ourselves isn't always that positive. But the question I want to look at today is, what does God say about our identity? What does God say? Because there's things that I believe and others believe, but who am I in God's eyes? And how does the resurrection impact that? Well, for the next 12 to 14 weeks, depending on how fast we go, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. In fact, if you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, go to the middle, turn right. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you'll eventually find it way before Revelation. But in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, it spends a lot of time right out of the gate talking about our identity. And this is important for me. This is important for you. Whether you're a part of our church or not a part of our church. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not. You see, there's a way that God views his people and his family, his church, those who call on the name of Christ, is anyone who's received him by faith, who's chosen to believe in God and in his son and what he did on the cross and believe in the resurrection by faith. This is a free gift for us. And so this is how we'll kick off the series, is we're going to start with the truth about what God says about our identities. Because no matter what you think of yourself, maybe you think too much of yourself, maybe you don't think enough of yourself, in Christ, your identity can be new. It can be not just revived, but resurrected. Brand new life in Christ. This is how uh, just the first two verses reads. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll just pause right there and we'll just give a little bit of a background is Paul starts by identifying who he is. Paul was an apostle. And, and an apostle is anyone from the ancient world, in this sense, from the ancient world who had seen Jesus, who had seen the resurrected Jesus, and who had been called by God to be an apostle. So it's a title, but it's also an office. And so he, he's reminding them of who he is and that he has the authority to write scripture. And just as a sidebar, no one else gets to write scripture. It says that it's closed because all of those original disciples that have seen Jesus, seen the risen Jesus and were called, they're all dead now, right? But Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, this is the guy who writes it. And he's writing to a church that he actually helped plant. So after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples start going to the four corners of the earth, this ripple effect, this domino effect of of people sharing what Christ had done for them uh, starts to emanate out from Jerusalem. And it's uh, going all throughout the Mediterranean, right? It goes to places like Turkey and Greece. Eventually, it makes its way to Rome. Well, Ephesus on the coast of Turkey is where Paul had gone in 52 A.D., 
And uh, he actually started a riot there and got kicked out after living there for about two years uh, because that's what Paul did wherever he went. He talked about Jesus and he either started a revival or a riot, right? So he's my kind of guy. And so he had planted this church, but he hadn't been back there in about 10 years. And during that time, the church flourished. It began to plant other churches in the greater metropolitan Ephesus zone, right? And, and, and so we have all of these churches, and it's about 10 years later, somewhere between 62 and 63 AD, Paul writes this letter that we're going to be studying for the next weeks. Uh, he writes to them. They're a Gentile church, so they're not Jewish people. So they didn't necessarily grow up with this understanding of this one true God, Yahweh as they called him. And so this letter's perfect for us. And the first chapter is perfect in talking to us about identity. And so if you see right in the first two verses that that I read there, we start in verse one. He says something interesting. After saying, I, Paul, he goes to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now I highlighted that on purpose because as we've talked about at the tabernacle before, I don't always feel like a saint. Now, you may have come from a church tradition where they venerated uh, men and women of faith. Uh, you know, those that were, were super spiritual or did a lot of really good things or holy things after they died. If they did X amount of miracles, they would make them a saint. And the problem is, is that's not necessarily biblical. Because if I read Ephesians, Paul's just writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And it's a multi-site church and there's a bunch of Gentiles and I'm assuming that just like our church, there's some people that have been Christians for a long time and are pretty holy. And there's some Christians that are brand new and, you know, still trying to figure things out. Maybe they just showed up on Easter or maybe they, uh, you know, watched online at Easter and for the first time placed their faith in Christ. But Paul doesn't differentiate. And I'm, I'm not trying to go too academic in here, but this is important I don't care how old you are, how long you've been a Christian. If you're listening or watching, don't miss this. Paul says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That's everyone who's in the church. That's everyone who's become a Christian. That's everyone who's been saved, who's prayed a simple prayer, probably in their own words asking God to forgive them and come into their life. At that moment, you become a saint. Now, I know in in the United States in 2020, that's hard to stomach to say, I'm a saint. But don't take it up with me. That's what Scripture says. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ, Faithful in Christ. Now, this theme in Christ, we're going to see all throughout chapter 1 and through the rest of Ephesians. And in fact, as I often do, I encourage you uh, to start reading Ephesians for yourself. If you're quarantined, you have plenty of time to do this, right? This is a great time to get in God's word for yourself. So you don't just have to take my word for it. If you don't have a Bible, you can get a Bible app. You can go online and find free Bibles online where you can read in any translation or language in which it's known. But I encourage you to read through this. And as you do, you're going to find this theme in Christ all throughout. So he says, to the saints 
who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ. This is important because in Ephesians, this is a theme that we're going to see. The first three chapters of Ephesians, I'm going to give you the overview right now. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what God has done. And the second three chapters, there's only six chapters in Ephesians. You could read the whole thing in one sitting. The second three chapters is all about how we should respond to what God has done. And we need both parts. And if you're paying attention, both of those parts are in the first verse. We are saints because of what God has done. I'm not a saint because I'm a preacher. I'm not a saint because I'm a good husband or a good father. If you talk to my wife, you talk to my kids, you find out that that's not always the case. I'm a saint for one simple reason, because Jesus died for me, and then he defeated Satan, sin, and death through his resurrection. He's God, the gospel is true, and there's hope for me. And the same is true for you. And if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you're a saint because of what he's done. And that's what the first three chapters are about, what God has done. And the second part, who are faithful in Christ, faithfulness is my response. And it's critical because if you start reading through Ephesians like I did years and years ago, I, I, I decided I wanted to know Ephesians really, really well. And uh, as it just so happened in my schedule, I had a little bit of time every day. Uh, I, was, I was doing some student teaching. And so there was always like 20 minutes that I had to spend in my car. It's a long story. It's not important. But I took my Bible with me. And every morning for six weeks, I read through the book of Ephesians before I hit that public school classroom. You can read through the whole thing in just a few minutes. And, and it's important to understand chapters 1 through 3 are about what God has done. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 is how I should respond. And if you don't do that, you can get discouraged by the way you don't measure up. And so it's a if this, then this. And it's the same thing in chapter 1. To the saints, because of what he has done, I'm going to be faithful in Christ. That is my response. And then in verse 2, this is the result. This is the result. This is how resurrection begins. He says in verse 2, a grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but um, this nation, in my view, could use some peace right now. And not just this nation, this state, we could use a little bit of peace Everybody's up in arms. Every, you know, there's different opinions. There's, you know, it's, you know, I kind of feel bad for the leaders because no matter what they do, something terrible is happening. And so someone on either side is going to criticize everyone, right? And we all get caught up in it because we're bored and we're online and we're watching the news. And there's not a lot of peace. But even outside a pandemic, I could use peace. He says, Grace to you and peace. And where does the peace come from? From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how does that work? Again, it's this whole what God has done and then my response. We see it all through Ephesians and especially the first part of chapter one. God has given us his grace. I can't give grace the way God can. Only God can give us what we don't deserve. 
And we've, we've said it before, the gospel is a really, really good deal. In fact, the gospel is almost a scandalous in how good of a deal that it is. No matter what you've done, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter what sins have been committed against you, God in Christ on the cross takes all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of our shame, and he pays for it. And he covers it in his blood. And the only thing that I do, the only way that I participate is to receive it. It's a free gift. Grace, when you get what you don't deserve, a gift that you don't deserve, when you receive that and understand it, peace follows. Security follows. And in a time of uncertainty when no one knows when we're going to stop the online church thing. No one knows when the quarantine's going to end. No one knows what the future holds. Well, somebody does. God does. And you know what else? God's not stressed out about it. God's in control. That peace comes from understanding and believing that he's a good God, a loving God, a gracious God. And when it comes to my identity, the striving to be somebody that I'm not, the dreaming, the fantasizing that I'm going to wake up and be some type of super spy, like I, I, I can quit that. I can be who God made me to be. You can be who God made you to be. And it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, what's happened to you, what you've done, where you've come from. This grace has been extended to you. And if you receive this resurrected identity from God, you'll have peace. There's a verse. And that's what the rest of chapter one breaks down for us. And I, I don't know how much we'll get through today, but let's, but let's look at verse three because Paul kind of goes on a little bit of a rant. And if, if you've been in a fight club or if you've been in a Bible study that's you know, studied Ephesians before, you know what's coming is he goes on a rant of all of these things that are resurrected, this new identity in Christ. Starting in verse three, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, 
when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. This is God's word. And we believe that there's no wasted words in scripture. And, and I know the first time you read that, that sounds like a lot of words and it's a lot of words that I don't understand. And if that's you, I wanna say that's okay. You're normal. You're not dumb. Don't believe the lies. It takes some unpacking. In fact, one of the reasons that you know, we highlighted different words is because these first 14 verses take some real study because Paul packs so much into it. In fact, there's several sentences, to be quite honest, they're just run-on sentences. It's like all of this grace that God has put in us as children of God just comes gushing out of Paul and he can't even contain himself. And so it's like Christmas morning, even though it's on the other side of Easter, and it just comes gushing out. And so some of those words I want to go back through, and I just want us to spend some time thinking about those words. Because if there's no wasted words in Scripture, that means these words matter. And they matter for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. In fact, he says in, thir- in verse 13, he says, he says, when you believed in him, you were sealed with this stuff. So this is your identity, your resurrected identity, according to God's word. This is what Christ has accomplished for you. And as I said before, it doesn't matter how young or old you are. It doesn't matter what your marital status is. It doesn't matter if you've made a mess of your life or if you look like you have it all together. It doesn't even matter how long you've been a Christian. The moment that you've received Christ by faith, you're a saint. And if you're faithful in Christ, if that's the direction of your life, this is true about you. First of all, in verse three, he says that we're blessed. He says that we're blessed. That he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And if verse three is true, and we just spend a moment thinking about that. If, if, if the Bible says that there's every spiritual blessing I'm already blessed with, that means there's no more spiritual blessings for me to receive. There's no more to bless you with. He already emptied the blessing pantry. All the blessing that he could possibly give you in the heavenly realms is yours. Now, you may not believe it, You may not understand it. You may not know who you really are. You may believe the lies about yourself, but that's not how God sees you. The truth about you is known to God. We can dress this up. We can wear whatever mask we want. We can do whatever we want with our behavior to try to assume a different identity. But in front of God, we're naked, laid bare. And he says, every spiritual blessing I've already given you. And it's yours in Christ. You know, I read a story. um, It was years ago. I think it was somewhere around 2005. um, A member of the royal family, he was like the Earl of Essex. uh, He passed away. 
And so the next earl, like the 11th earl, ascended to whatever that position or that title it was. And I'm not sure exactly how it is, but I know if, you know, if everybody in the royal family starts dying that this guy's in line. And so a reporter started uh, uh, just doing a little research to find out, well, what about if the 11th earl dies, uh, uh, who's the next earl? And so they trace this guy's family tree and guess where the next earl is. In fact, he's still alive to my knowledge. He lives in Yuba City, California. He's a retired grocer named Bill. And there's this picture online. You can look it up. Him sitting in an easy chair. If the 11th Earl of Essex dies, Bill from Yuba City, California, that's his identity. He's been blessed. And it was a blessing that he didn't know about until he was contacted. I don't know what his plans are or what old Bill's going to do, but how much more for you and I that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing that he's just piled it on you in verse four he says that we're chosen that we're chosen that means that god picked you i don't know if you remember the days of uh elementary school maybe at recess when they were picking teams or maybe you tried out for a part and and you were really hoping to be picked we've all been in situations maybe even just applying for a job or asking a girl on a date many of us know what it's like to not be picked conversely that moment when you find out that someone wants you or on their team or someone wants you in their organization or someone wants you to be in the band or you get the part or you get the position. It's a good feeling to be picked. Now think about the God of the universe, what he says to the saints in Ephesus and to the saints in northern Michigan and whoever's listening or watching online. He says you were chosen. You were chosen by him and you were chosen for something special. It says chosen to be holy and blameless. That doesn't mean that I'm going to be perfect in this lifetime, but Holy means to be set apart. Blameless is to be different, to live differently from the rest of the world. And and so part of this identity, God is saying, I picked you to be someone and something special. Not just to set you on a shelf, but I've chosen you. You've been picked. In verse 4, he says why he does this. He says he does this in his love. We're blessed, we're chosen, and we're loved. We're loved with an infinite love. In Romans chapter 5, it says that God loved us first. In fact, it says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, it says that while I was dead in sin, Christ died for me and loved me, right? So what that means is God's love is not dependent on what you do. God's love is not dependent on how good you are. God's love is not dependent on whether or not I have Jason Bourne skills. God's love is not dependent on whether or not I get it right. 
I'm blessed, I'm chosen, and I'm loved. And he loved us first before there was anything in us that was even lovable. This is my identity. And in Christ, this is your identity. In verse 5, it says that we were predestined. And, and better men and women than I have been arguing about what that means for 2,000 years. What does predestined mean and free will and all that stuff? I'm not even interested in that debate. But I know that that's a real verse and that's a real word in God's scripture, which is true. And if it says that I'm predestined, what that means to me is that I'm not a mistake. That you're not a mistake. That I was planned. That before he even created the world, he knew me. He knew my identity. He knew who he made me to be. He knew who he made you to be. It was predestined. There was a plan. It goes on in verse 5 to say that we're adopted. That we're adopted. And that's a big deal to be adopted. In my own extended family, we have some, or my brother's got some girls that he's adopted. And they're treated like any other member of our family. In fact, to a certain degree, they're almost the favorites. I don't know if they're watching this or not, but uh, adoption is not something that's taken back. And so if it says that God in heaven has adopted me as a son, has adopted you as a son or a daughter, that means we're children of God. That means our identity is a member of God's family. You know, when we use words around the tabernacle, like, you know, talking about this is a family, no matter what campus you're a part of, that it's, it's not just this local church family, it's a part of God's family. And his family is royalty. Scripture says that Jesus Christ, our great God and King, is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the King of the universe, King of everything that is. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God, And if I'm adopted into that family, what does that say about my identity? I don't have to keep up with Bill in Yuba City, California, who may or may not become the 12th Earl of Essex. I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. And we're in his family. We've been adopted. And all of these things speak to our identity, our identity that is resurrected in Christ. That's about all the time we have for this weekend. And and I I hope you come back next time. We're going to look at some more of these things. But just, just a recap, in Christ, I'm a saint. In Christ, I'm blessed. I'm chosen. I'm loved, I'm predestined, I'm adopted. That's just the first part of our identity. There's more to it. The bottom line of what I'm getting at is your identity is truly found in Christ. My identity, your identity in Christ. 
And that's a real resurrection. And if we know that and understand that, the way we live is going to be different. Because what you believe dictates how you live. What you believe about yourself dictates how you'll respond. And God's grace, which is poured out on us, God's grace, which is made possible because of his resurrection, that can resurrect our identity. It's something worth studying. So I wonder how you would respond. And, and, and what, what we want to do this week is a little bit different um, because we can, and, and, and I don't know what, what format you're, you're, you're listening or watching right now. Maybe it's on Facebook. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know if it's possible through Instagram or Vimeo or you're watching on YouTube. But all these different platforms have a way that you can comment somehow. I wonder if you would respond this way this week. Which one of those caught you right in the feels? Which one of those was the one that you needed to hear the most right now? Was it that in Christ you're a saint or was it that you're adopted? Was it that you're loved, that you're beloved and there's nothing you can ever do to change that? Was it the fact that you've been predestined and you're not a mistake or that you've been chosen? Would you do that? Would you participate in that way? And, and, and it's not that we're trying to get a bunch of feedback to feel good about ourselves, but sometimes when from my head to my heart, I go to the keyboard, or if you're on a phone, I tap it out. Maybe it becomes a little bit more real. And wives, if you want to do it for your husband, because we know he's probably too cool to do it himself, we'll accept that too. But let's pray together, and then we'll pick this up next week. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for resurrecting our identities in Christ. Help us to believe it so that we can live it, so that we can respond as saints. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.